Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Samantha Downing. I am so excited to be talking with her today. Samantha was originally scheduled as our first Corks and Conversation of the season, but <laughs> Hurricane Ida ruined those plans. <laughs> That's right. She lives in New Orleans and actually had to evacuate, unfortunately. But we're here today. Being from South Florida, Kathy, I know how disruptive and scary that is. So um, we'll have to ask her about things, how it went for her. But before that, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about her? Happy to. Um, Samantha Downing is the author of the best-selling My Lovely Wife, which I have a copy here because I enjoyed it so much. I'd bought this a couple years ago when it first came out. I love, 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 love. Well, we have two different covers. Look at that. I know you have paperback, don't you? Mine is, yeah, I bought this last summer. So nice. And so (laughs) this um, novel was nominated for several awards: the Edgar, the ITW, McCavity, CWA, um, Amazon Studios, and Nicole Kidman's Blossom Films have partnered to produce a feature film based upon this. And I can't wait because that will be so great. Her second book, um, He Started It, was released in 2020 and also became an instant international bestseller. And her third book, I read that on Kindle, by the way, that's why I don't have it here. I have actually, I have it in my library, but my mother's borrowing it. Oh, oh, wow. Marilyn, I made that back. Just saying. Uh, Okay. So then our, her third novel, which we're talking about today is for your own good. And it just came out this summer and it's a psychological thriller set in a, a private school called Belmont Academy, a very prestigious private high school. Um, where there's more than learning going on in those hallowed halls. It is having great success as well with good reason has been optioned by Robert Downey Jr. And Greg Berlanti for HBO Max. I hope I pronounced his name correctly. Anyway, all good things. And we're thrilled to have Samantha here. So welcome, Samantha. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, a little delayed, delay. but it's yeah. okay. <laughs> So, um, Kathy, you want to tell a little bit about the wine today? Yeah, yeah. I cho- so I chose chose this a little bit tongue in cheek. I chose um, this. It's called Rough Day, which I thought first of all is a dog in the label, not just made me happy. <laughs> it is a very nice uh, red. It is from uh, Bulgaria, which I don't know that we've had a Bulgarian wine before. No, I was more interested in the dog in the label, to be honest with you, than the <laughs> Bulgarian background. It has uh, aromas and flavors of berry pie, black cherry, and a hint of dried oregano. Mm. I know. I'm going to try it. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to try it a little bit too. It's not rough at all. Very good. (laughs) It's good. I don't don't know if I taste the oregano. Do you? No, I never do. (laughs) I taste red wine. I'm not good at this yet. We've been doing this for a long time and I'm still not tasting a lot of it, but right. anyway, speaking of rough day, let's talk to Samantha about Hurricane Ida a little bit. Yes, we had to get out of the city and, and we're gone. I was gone about two weeks. So Ooh. the city didn't get that much damage. It was actually mainly in the suburbs just because of where the hurricane hit in relation to everything. 
we just didn't have power for a long time and um, internet. So I came back as soon as we had that. But in terms of like building damage, it wasn't wasn't anything like Katrina. We didn't have flooding. We didn't have levee problems. We didn't have anything like that. It was more just the services that we all needed back. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to fall. Yeah. 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 Well, That's we're delighted crazy, that yeah. you're okay and back at home. Yeah. Your yeah. your house survived or do yeah, you live yeah. in, in downtown New Orleans area? I live or? in the French Quarter. Oh, oh nice. Cool. Fun. Okay. Yeah. Well, next time we're down there, we'll meet meet up with you for a little <laughs> Anyway, let's get started with the questions. What I know. Say? I'm so excited to talk about this book. I loved it. Okay, so you placed your book in an elite private school, the Belmont Academy, and the readers meet this teacher of the year, Teddy Crutcher. How did you come up with the setting and this character? I mean, what was the inspiration behind this story with this creepy um, character? <laughs> uh, I wanted to, I started with a bad teacher. That's what I wanted. Um, and that's what I wanted to write about because teachers next to parents, teachers, probably spend the most time with kids. And I wanted to explore what it would be like if you had someone who was a sociopath or a psychopath as a teacher, because you don't often know that someone is one until they do something bad or they get arrested. They sort of fly under the radar and they're just out there among the world. So what happens when they're teaching our kids? Mm -hmm. And um, I definitely didn't, I didn't want to do anything that had to do with being a sexual predator at all. That's, it's been done and it's more typical story for a, right. um, a school story. So he has created his own system of how he grades his students <laughs> and it may not have anything to do with their academic work. <laughs> and someone like that has a lot of influence on what happens to the kids. They can make yeah. or break a student's application to an Ivy League school. And these are kids that apply to Ivy League schools. So when you have someone that acts like that, it can really affect them personally as well as their future. And that's a very scary thought that a kid could be doing everything right. But if you get on the wrong side of this one teacher, your whole future can be affected. Right. Yeah. Right. We we often think also, I mean, for some reason, these um, private schools, they're just like so juicy for these crazy <laughs> <laughs> kind of things. I guess it's because, you know, there's not as much oversight and more money and I don't know, but. Right. Well, the other thing I really liked is your uh, your murder weapon Ooh. of choice, the poison. Mm -hmm. um, how did you come up with that? I mean. Well, poisons are typically used by women. Um, almost exclusively women use poison to kill because it doesn't require the body strength. Mm -hmm. You don't have to overpower anyone. And you also don't even have to be around for the effects. It might happen hours or days later when you're poisoning someone. So I thought it would be interesting first to have a man using a poison. And also because he had so much access to things that he could put poison in, um, and that could happen in, in any office if you're messing with things. When you have communal kitchens and communal refrigerators, oh. all sorts of things can happen that <laughs> yep. where you can. I'd be very scared about that. I know. I'm a little nervous after around. reading this book. I'm like, thank goodness there's a pandemic and we're not going. <laughs> the um, idea for the coffee pods came to me. I was staying in a hotel that had a 
single serve coffee maker and it had pods there you could use. And I just started thinking like, how long, how many, how, how long have these pods been here? How many people have been through here? And they're so easy to tamper with because nobody checks them before you stick it in. It's only, well, only if it was something obvious, would you mm -hmm. notice it? Otherwise you just pick it up and pop it in the machine and you don't look. So if you do something like what Teddy is doing, it's, you wouldn't see it. That is so true. So scarily true. I think, you, I hope you didn't give anybody an idea. <laughs> I was My agent said she now travels with her own coffee pods. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I thought the worst thing about the pods would be that people have touched them perhaps, but now <laughs> this book tells you about a whole different concern that you should have. <laughs> right. Right. I, what about the research for poison? Was that really fun? Yeah, I had to do a lot of research into that. I don't know much about plants. I'm not a green thumb person. So given that, that it all came from the garden, I had to do a lot of research into the different types of poisons, how, how, what they did to the body and how long they took so that I would be scientifically accurate um, in choosing the ones that I chose. And I chose them specifically for the effects that they had, um, because I know there are people out there who do know plants. So if I got it wrong, mm -hmm. I would hear about it. Oh yeah. So yeah, that was that was interesting to do. There's pretty much a poison for everything out there. <laughs> well, yeah. The thing is, these are natural poisons. These are growing out in the wild, and so many of them, um, most of them, in fact, take an extreme amount to be able to kill somebody, and you get very sick before you die. So you would be hospitalized before you would. Um, so those are the kind that didn't work because. Otherwise, they would find out that somebody would be poisoned before they died. So they had to work in a more instantaneous or quicker way for it to work for this book. So great. So, you know, one of the so the teacher student thing is, you know, the, the primary because the teacher is Mr. Teacher of the Year. <laughs> um, but there's so many other relationships and dynamics that are at play here because there's parents against teachers and teachers against parents. And you've got teachers plotting against each other, other teachers, administration against, you know, lower status teachers. And then there's kids um, <laughs> against parents and parents against kids. I mean, you I mean, there's just almost every dynamic that's at play and it makes it so complex. And I was wondering what you thought about why is it so unnerving when the people that we're supposed to be able to trust parents and teachers fail us? Um, I think that, that that's actually something that's in all of my books at some level. It just, this is the first book where it's the main storyline. In My Lovely Wife, the couple has teenage children who are affected by what they do, even though they don't know what their parents are doing. And, and he started it, the sibling relationship and what their parents did to them. So the effect that adults have on kids is something that has appeared in every one of my books. It's just the main storyline in this one. And that's one of the things that's so great about the private school is it's not just a microcosm of society. There are sub societies within that. So you have the parents who have more money than the teachers and they're paying the bills directly. So they, it's not like paying taxes in a public school. They're mm -hmm. literally paying the school. So they feel like they can tell the teachers what to do. Then you have students who are driving better cars than the teachers. <laughs> And how does that feel to the teacher <laughs> to right. have these kids that are already ahead of them in life and already have a life plan that's going to take them to greater success than the teacher has? And then the teachers themselves have their own pecking order, which is 
true. And I have a Mm -hmm. um, critique group, a writing group that I work with. And one of them is a former teacher. So she made sure I was on point on, Mm. on all the teacher politics behind the scenes. And there apparently really is pecking orders in schools between teachers and who has been there longer and who's, who's the new kid and all of that. So Mm -hmm. the private school has that addition of the the money being in play Mm -hmm. and the money affecting how people are treating each other and how much entitlement the parents have over what happens at the school. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite lines was um, Zach, who's one of the main characters. Uh, Zach hasn't even graduated from high school and he already wants a do-over. And I thought another piece that cracked me up, uh, not cracked me up, but especially the ending, and we will not give away, but do not, <laughs> uh, absolutely not. But I always thought it was interesting. It really showed how, you know, um, high school students who are 17 and 18 years old, you know, still uh, teachers and parents have so much control of their lives. And, and then in a few months, they're, they're, I mean, they're just, they're just so tangibly close to that not being the case. Like, you know, when they go to college and and I just thought that was really interesting. You could really see the difference there. Like he was still stuck under that roof and then things changed at the end. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Zach is, um, Zach is the only student point of view in the book. And the way I thought about Zach is that, um, the way I think about high school kids that are that age is that what they're fundamentally doing is navigating between all the adults in their life. And at that point, they have realized consciously that they have to become different people in front of different adults. And we all realize that, you know, you're a different Mm -hmm. person at work, at the office than you are at home and what have you. Little kids realize it on instinct. They act this way in front of mom and this way in front of dad. High school kids, they're now conscious of it. So he has to act this way in front of Teddy Crutcher, this way in front of Sonia, this way in front of his parents to give everybody what he wants. And then a different way in front of his friends. And so he's he's just he's just walking through the maze, navigating through it, trying to get through it until he can graduate and go to college. And that's really what I think high school does at that age. And it's the great thing about setting a book in high school because we've all been in it. And we've <laughs> all, everyone is, even if you didn't go to private high school, you have a high school experience yeah. and you may have kids that are now in high school. Very right. Yep. <laughs> okay. So we're midway-ish and this is the time we ask our guests a question. We call the question in the bottle. Christy will pull one out for you. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty random. Yeah, they're just random questions. <laughs> what scene from a movie always gives you goosebumps every time you see it? Goosebumps. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I know. Well, well it could be considering either way. it's Halloween, it's Halloween season, mm-hmm. I will say the there are a couple movies I still can't even watch from beginning to end because they make me too scared. So I guess that's goosebumps. I cannot watch The Shining and I cannot watch The Exorcist. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The Exorcist. Oh, I I don't know. Both of those completely freak me out. Jack Nicholson is just too scary for me. And the um, two little twin girls in that movie freak me out completely. I have to turn the channel. I can't can't do it. And anything to do with possession or demon possession scares me. I can watch all sorts of scary movies the ghost movies, the slasher movies, all of those, but you get into exorcism and demons, which I don't even believe in, but it scares the bejesus. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know. I remember in high school, my mom was watching that on TV and she wouldn't drive my friend home because she lived <laughs> next to a cemetery. She was watching like the exorcist. I was like, so we had to call like the dad. I was like, mom, that's a little extreme. She's like, oh. <laughs> I just this morning, I, I, I think it might've been on today's show, but I'm not positive. They were showing background scenes from The Shining and they were showing Jack Nicholson getting into character. It was, you should Google it. It was, it made it even scarier because he was getting himself into such a tizzy to, to, you know, do the here's Johnny scene. And he's railing around with that knife. It was, it was. Oh gosh, I want to see that. Yeah, I'm going to have to Google it. Yeah, you should look it it up. It's, um, and then this poor, like, uh, I don't know, production assistant almost got (laughs) (laughs) swiped with a knife. It is quite something to see him getting into it though. Anyway. Mm. (laughs) Well, he did a great job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can you read the books? Can you read Stephen King's books? Yep, I have. um, The Shining book is actually very different from the movie. As I understand it, Stephen King does not like the movie and never did because it was so different than book. Um, Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting if anybody ever remakes it, but it would be so difficult because that movie is so iconic. Right, right. It'd have to be like Stephen King's version of Stephen King's book or something. (laughs) (laughs) All right. When I was doing some research to get to talk to you, I read that you said that you've started several manuscripts that you decided not to finish or didn't finish. And I was curious about the criteria or what happens there. And then I also read that you write in several or have written in several different genres. And so I was wondering how you landed so happily and successfully in the thriller genre. Yeah. um, Well, for the genre, um, thrillers were the books I really grew up reading because my family reads them all. So Mm -hmm. I would, there was always, you know, the latest John Grisham or Michael Crichton or whatever that was around the house. Um, So I sort of came full circle to thrillers after writing in whatever genre I wanted. I've written horror. I tried literary. I don't think I ever tried romance. I did some think more fantasy type stuff, um, and then came back to thriller. When I read The Girl on the Train, mm. and, and, I, and I don't remember if I read that before or after I read Gone Girl, but when I hit that domestic, when those domestic thrillers exploded, I read that and I thought, this is the kind of book I want to write. Mm. And if that had never happened, I probably would have never thought of My Lovely Wife. I mean, it, it probably wouldn't have even come to my mind because it, that subgenre is something I can do. I'm not a police officer. I'm not a detective. It would be really hard for me to do a traditional thriller where the, mm-hmm. you know, the cop is chasing like a silence of the lambs type thing mm-hmm. with FBI. Right. <clears throat> but when you set them in the family environment or in the neighborhood environment and all the main characters are non-law enforcement, then I can write that thriller. So, um, and you do, <laughs> do it well. <laughs> Um, as far as throwing stuff out, yeah, I throw stuff out. I throw out entire books. I just threw out an entire book. I threw out my fourth book and I just started again. Um, a couple months ago, I threw it out. So sometimes typically at the 20,000 word mark, I know whether I have a story that can carry on for another 65,000 words or whether the story just isn't big enough. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. just not, it's just not there. It's just a smaller story. And sometimes I just get bored at the 20,000 word mark. The story's not, I'm not into it. I personally am not into it. 
and I'll throw it out. So I, I throw out like that stuff all the time. Like, wow. Like, so you're, you're definitely like yeah. what we call a pantser. So oh, you yeah. don't go oh. into it planning yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. love asking that question because people have that like, oh yeah, like, like they, oh yeah, I'm a pantser or, you know, yeah. and I was, I just love that reaction. Or I've got a spreadsheet to show you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's so cool. I love it. There's just no one way. Yeah. I mean, I start with a character, like in this one, I knew it was going to be a bad teacher. That's all I knew. I didn't know anything else. And then I just go. And the first chapter is really when <clears throat> the first decisions are made and mm -hmm the more chapters you write, the more decisions that are made. And, and it just goes from there. I also revise as I write. So, mm. which is not common. I can't just write out a quick draft and have a mess at the end. That to me is just, it's overwhelming. And the thought of going back through it drives me like from page one drives me crazy. So I revise as I go. So if I change something in chapter 10, I will go back and make sure it's changed in the first nine chapters. So by right. the time I finish a draft, it's actually a revised draft. Mm -hmm. I don't have 350 pages of mess in front of me where nothing adds up or whatever. Right. I agree with that. I mean, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a planner, like Kathy's a planner, but, but I can't just keep writing and know that there's something wrong in the earlier chapter that I got to go fix, you know? Right. So what well, is a daunting concept to think about? There's a, he has a huge mess to fix and you have to touch every piece of it to fix it. That's, that's, that's a daunting mm -hmm. feeling. And some people do it. They just write, they just go, they don't want to mm -hmm. stop because they're in like that flow of, of inspiration. And mm -hmm. I get that, but like, it'll just be in the back of my mind. I just can't. Cause I don't write all day. I mean, I don't know who can write for eight hours straight. I can't I, I, yeah, that's what my eight next, hours. That was so my I next can, question. Like, what is your writing day? Like I write in the mornings is when I do fresh stuff. And so I write for a few hours. I usually write a chapter a day and my chapters are pretty short, but then I can in the afternoon or the evening, I can do the revision part. So the, mm. it doesn't take, it doesn't take over. Mm -hmm. It doesn't replace what I'm doing. It just is something, it just is another piece that I'm working on. Mm. So I'm working on my writing hours a day. Um, it's just not that I'm just not necessarily creating something brand new all day long. I am right. revising what's come before. And you've had a lot of success. So I'm hoping that you, do you still have a day job that you have to? <laughs> no, I oh, left good. my day job um, the end of, right before the pandemic started, the end of 2019. So I started okay. 2020 as a full-time writer. And then Yay. three months <laughs> later that we were in the pandemic and I was working an from home anyway. Yeah, right. To make that right. choice. <laughs> yep. Very interesting. And so what would you say um, your best, the best part of the writing life is now that you Oh, for me, it's the initial draft, the, uh -huh. like the actual writing, the actual creative process is by far the most enjoyable part. Yeah. Everything not, else. Not a big, distant. not a big, happy revisor, right? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not at all. I get that. I get that. That's more left brain, tedious. Mm -hmm. it's it's not there's nothing it's more logical than creative for the most part mm -hmm. i love that yeah no no not <laughs> revising no. no no okay christy 
the oh, final yeah question. before we go we have a final <laughs> question that we ask to appease our foodie listeners out there so um which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be probably millicent from my lovely wife and i'm sure it would be something organic and healthy <laughs> whatever i probably she should decide i probably shouldn't try to make any decisions. No. <laughs> she might be a little controlling on that yeah. yes <laughs> that's funny yeah they just let her decide it'll be healthy <laughs> so if our listeners have questions about um, your work and they'd like to reach out to you what's the best place to find you um, on social media, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, they're all at S Marie Downing. They're all the same. Or my website, um, SamanthaDowning.com. Okay. Awesome. We'll put that in our show notes. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So anyway, this has been really fun. I'm glad that you were able to make it this time. I'm glad everything worked out with the hurricane. And um, hopefully we'll see you sometime in real life. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers to you and <laughs> Cheers. success of this book. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.